I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into college football overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman, and his name is Abe Gordon. Uh, we are college football overtime, but we have a ton to talk about here. We are down here in the beautiful city of Atlanta getting ready for the week 12 slate of college football because we are almost there. We're almost to the finish line, the finish line that I don't think anybody wants to get to while simultaneously everybody wants all the answers that come with it because that means the big dogs have played. But we're not there yet. We're still in week 12. Rivalry week is still a week away. We have another batch of college football playoff rankings. We are three weeks away from our final decision and we still got a lot of football play to play between now and then. But our idea of who is going to be at the top when it's all said and done is getting better and better and clearer and clearer. Uh, we also have a lot of games to go, go talk about. So we're going to go around the SEC, talking about Georgia and Tennessee, Florida and Missouri, and all the other big games in the SEC. We're going to go to the ACC. North Carolina's got a game in, at Clemson. I don't know what's going to happen in that one, but it should be a good one. We're going to talk about it here. Louisville has a chance to lock down a trip to the ACC title game. And we'll talk about that here, but they got to get through Miami first. So, and then we're going to go around the, around the nation, talk about all of the biggest games there. We also have to talk a little bit about some head coach decisions because it's silly season uh, and the coach's carousel is just getting started. But before we do any of that, we got to welcome in my co-host, my friend, Abe Gordon. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, man. I was looking at the schedule this week. It's kind of refreshing because sometimes this is a down week, and there are those sorts of games where you're playing Cupcake U as you get ready for the big rivalry weekend. But there's actually a lot of good quality competition this weekend. Uh, that's refreshing uh, because sometimes this can lay an egg, but I, I don't think so looking at that slate. Yeah, for sure. But, Abe, I do want to talk a little bit about something that the College Football Playoff Committee did, and that's where we're going to start. Yeah. Because they came out with their newest batch, and for the first time all season, we have a new number one at least in the college football playoff poll, where the University of Georgia is now the unanimous number one across all polls. The only play, place that they weren't is then the one that mattered in the college football playoff where they had been largely the number two team. 
well, the, the number two team until just now. And they just overtook Ohio State. The rest of your top four, Michigan and Florida State, there's a big question mark on the Knolls because a lot of people thought that that win that Washington had last week was going to be enough to put them in at the four spot. But the committee disagreed. Uh, six, seven, eight, that all stayed the same, been the same since well, for a long time. Uh, we have the same crew right there. And rounding out the top 10, Missouri at number nine. They leapfrogged Louisville after the yep. huge win against Tennessee. Abe, do you have any thoughts really on, on where we stand in the college football playoff rankings? Or is this just a, another, a means to an end, if you will? Yeah, it's interesting. I thought it was time uh, that Georgia jumped Ohio State. I think you could have defended it pretty well uh, previously. But at some point, whether you think the opponents are quality or not, they, they are ranked wins for Georgia. Whether they're at home or not, it doesn't matter to me. And I know we flipped the script on that being a home game this time around. Um, but but it is a little bit uh, – you do ask the question, was this Georgia impressing the committee enough? Or was this some of Ohio State's quality wins taking another step back? And we, and we don't look at Notre Dame the same way we did when Ohio State beat them. Now that Penn State's picked up a second loss, uh, certainly did not look competitive there against Michigan uh, a week ago. Uh, you know, some of those wins kind of dropped down a little bit. I do find it interesting, as you mentioned, though, we saw Georgia jump up. Obviously, those wins against ranked teams started to add up, build that resume, look good while doing it. Surprised we didn't see Washington jump Florida State. We'll get to it as we get to it later this show. But mm -hmm. um, certainly based on the opponents this week, if Washington were to win uh, this week, I think you would see them jump Florida State. At some point, similarly to Georgia, all of these ranked wins that they have to deal with in the Pac-12 has to build a resume better than what Florida State's. Uh, I don't know if you still have that argument after this week. There, there, there's too many ranked wins for Washington. They should be the four if they win uh, on Saturday. Yeah, another interesting one that I've seen is is just the comparison of these one-loss teams. And I think this really does set us up to a bit of a doomsday scenario where the SEC could, in fact, get left out when it's all said and done. And it's it's more that they're just not a shoe-in like they have been every other iteration of the college football playoff that we've seen. Every year, it seems like there's one team that you know is going to make it win or loss. Uh, that's just the way it feels. You know, I mean, you can go back all the way to the first iteration in 2014 when, it, when Alabama made it in. Uh, Every single year, there seems to be that team. Well, this year, it feels like Georgia, but Georgia is not infallible. And they have shown that they are susceptible to losses. They have to go through uh, a Tennessee team on the road, which it, it doesn't feel like it's, it's, it feels like it's lost its luster a little bit, I will say. Uh, at one point, this could have been decided, deciding the SEC East. And now that has already been decided and they're already going to, to Atlanta. But when we get to that game in Atlanta, the loser might be playing for its life and they may not have enough of a resume. If it's Alabama, they're certainly out. But if Alabama wins, that is that still going to be enough. And based off of this college football playoff ranking with them at number eight, I don't know if it's going to be enough. Now that doesn't factor in a win on the road at Auburn, which is well, let me, let me stop you a win in the SEC championship game against the number one team in America. What it doesn't factor in is the committee changes their mind on what matters. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, just being fair, they, they do. Yeah. So ultimately, at the end, if the discussion plays out the way you're referencing, and it is a question between what would be a head-to-head -head loss against Texas, because that's really what you're asking mm -hmm. is would they jump Texas? Yeah. Um, 
The committee's going to tell you they're playing better. They're a different team than they were week two, blah, 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 blah. The committee will change what matters. They, they do it every single year to justify these decisions. So I understand the scenario you're you're, you're setting up, and rightfully so. But I, I just know how they work and, and what they do, and they, they change their mind from the most deserving to the teams that are playing the best. It's just as fluid as the ocean waves. And so – um, it's a great question, but I already know how that would go. I really do. If it's between Alabama and Texas, the way the teams have looked, they're going to take Alabama. And I know everyone's going to shout about the head-to-heads, Garrett. I get it. Um, long time ago, and that's going to be their explanation. Yeah, especially if they look convincing in these final games. Yeah. I think that's going to be a very interesting thing. But like I said when I, I set this up, there is a lot of football left to be played. We don't know if – we're just assuming that the Big Ten winner is going to be unscathed likely going to be that way but penn state's got to play a football game on saturday and you never know what happens and uh, when, when you actually when tommy's leather you know i mean now am, am i projecting that michigan's gonna lose of course not uh i don't think that maryland really gives them much of a shot but uh they could lose to ohio state and then ohio state say they fall flat against iowa in the big 10 cha- championship game what happens then uh, what happens if oregon is the team that ev- ev- eventually comes out of the pac-12 are you going to have the same conversation that you would with Alabama and Texas? No, probably not. So it, 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 there's a lot of football left to be played. I, I think this is a decent snapshot of where we stand, but it does create a bit of a, a chaos scenario where if certain things happen, any number of these teams can be left out. I think that there is a world that one of any of the top eight get left out, all eight of them. There is no shoe in. I would say I don't think that we've been able to say that in past years. That's the most interesting thing to me. Yeah, the the funny thing to me is, and you talk about the wrench the SEC could play in this, certainly. The wrench that Ohio State, Michigan, and then potentially a loss in a Big Ten title game could play into this. Certainly Florida State. The, The biggest wrench to me, which is quite funny, is Oregon State. Because they've got Washington this weekend and Oregon the next weekend. And, yeah. and, and I'm not projecting. We'll, we'll get into it when we discuss the games. But, man, if they somehow find a way to take out both, uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine at that point. Yeah, and we got a lot of football left to be played. We're going to talk about some of those games coming up here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. But, Abe, I do want to get into something else that's happened this week. Just in the time since we've last seen each other on this podcast, we've had some coaching changes. Uh, most recently, the news coming out of Los Angeles – where Chip Kelly is presumed to be out at UCLA. That move surprises me a little bit. Uh, I don't know why they would necessarily make that decision. They, they This is a team that won eight games two years ago, nine games last year, and this year they're pretty good, you know, in a really competitive Pac-12. Uh, they This is also a, a team that has reformed its identity. They're a defense, defense first team. The offense hasn't really held up its end of the bargain, which is – very strange when you talk about a Chip Kelly-led led team. But I'm still a little bit surprised. They're going to find a new head coach leading them into the Big Ten. Uh, elsewhere, you have uh, Zach Arnett. He was out at Mississippi State. And then the biggest news of all is Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher moving on. And Abe, that's the one I really want to ask you about. Because is Texas A&M the job? that Texas A&M people think it is. I say yes. What say you? It's not the job that A&M people think it is, but it is still the biggest job that will come available this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I don't think that that job is akin to Texas. Um, okay. But it, it is still the best job. I, I mean, I'm, you're asking me about what that, uh, what a fan base feels that role is. So I, I probably don't think it's quite what they feel it is. Um, That's fair. They, there are probably 10 or 12, maybe 15 jobs that, that I would easily say are better yeah. than Texas A&M. I don't think any of those will come open though. And so it is a better job. I guess we're comparing it. The other discussion would be like UCLA moving into the big 10. Like it's the best job that will become available um, based on what we know now. But, but I don't think it's quite as good a job as A&M fans think it is. If well, I mean that, you know, fans are talks. fanatics. So, money talks. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I, I think they got more but money they than a, They haven't won a championship since like 1939. Uh, it's not the program people think it is. That's all I'm suggesting. It, championships don't matter in terms yeah, it of does. that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. When, no, no, no. But, talk talking, about... but what I'm talking about, when, when I'm looking at all these other things, if I'm a head coach making a decision, I'm not going to see look and see how many trophies you have in your trophy case. That's not anything that I'm looking at, really. I mean, no, I'm, I'm talking looking about at what from you the fans' pay. perspective on, of what they on. think that program is. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah but I'm looking at a head coach's perspective when I ask that question or when I make that statement, I should say. Yeah. Like, this is a team, this is a program where they have endless resources. They play in the best conference in football. Yeah. And they're in the one of the best recruiting hotbeds in the country. Now, on that same note, you're at best, what, the fourth best team in your region? I mean, at the very right. best, you're maybe the seventh best job in your conference right like there are things to weigh when we're discussing these other things like they're not a better team than they're not a better program than lsu or texas or oklahoma they're behind all of those which are in their region Um, i mean even tcu just played in a national championship just last year uh texas has not been able to say the same you know and then in in the sec auburn's a better program alabama florida uh, georgia and texas and oklahoma are both better jobs and they'll be joining the sec next year you, you have LSU, that's a better job. I mean, so we're really, how good of a job is it? Is right. it a good enough job that you can lure away? Uh, like you can throw $15 million at, I don't know, Dan Lanning or, or, or Lane Kiffin or or a, like, a, like anything like that. Maybe. Yeah, I think money can talk because I think that they were one of the, they're the wealthiest program in college football, or at least they're right up there with the best of them. Uh, I don't know if they're a big enough brand to necessarily do say what USC did a couple of years ago when they go and get Lincoln Riley, a name that nobody was expecting, a, a name that everybody, no one believed until he was announced on the day that he made his press conference. Like everybody was blown away and shocked the day that that, that news came out. Even Oklahoma people were like, what? <laughs> like, where did that come from? I don't know if Texas A&M is necessarily on that level. I think that there are some great candidates for them out there, but I think they are desperate for a splash. And I think that's going to be their downfall. They're going to look for a big hire rather than the right hire. Like they have so many times before Jimbo Fisher was the splashy hire and it it just crashed and burned. I think there are the right guys out there. I don't know if they're going to give those guys the opportunity because they're not quote unquote splashy enough. Well, they're also in a tough situation financially. And I don't mean the school, but but they're in a point where with the amount of money you just paid the outgoing head coach, sure. you're going to get coaches who are asking for 10 million, 12 million, 15 million, whether or not they've necessarily shown the proof that they deserve that. And that's an interesting scenario. I, I mean, uh, I'm just pulling a name here. So I, this is not like any, any proof here, but mm-hmm. let's say that, that, um, Jamie Chadwell over Liberty is 
their top target. I, sure. I mean, does Jamie Chadwell deserve 12 million per year? Probably not, but not probably if you're, if you're going there, that that's your ask, right? I, I mean, so it's a weird scenario to see who they pull and how much um, that uh, the contract will eventually be for, because uh, it's going to be tough to take like a major step down contract wise. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're the school from, from what Jimbo had to, to this next guy, it's going to be very interesting to see if that dictates who they're able to bring in. Yeah. And I think that they, they've kind of tied there. And that's actually a really good point because they are entering the, these negotiations with one hand tied behind their back. Yeah. Like they have more money than Midas, but that's burned them. It didn't work with, with Jimbo Fisher, even though they threw money at the problem. And, and now there are only a handful of coaches in college football who make more than what Jimbo Fisher was making before yeah. that. And it's hard to convince your base that you're improving your head coaching situation if you're going to go get a guy who's not going to make more than your, his predecessor. And I think that's a really interesting perspective there, Abe. I, I, I like that idea, actually, um, because there are only a handful of coaches who are deserving of that yeah. $10 million dollar sign. You know, like they're like Ryan Day's up there, like Jim Harbaugh could be up there. Uh, Kirby Smart. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney. Like those are dudes who are, who have a track record, who have pedigree and like they've performed at the highest level. And I, I know I included Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day. They haven't won a national title, but they've also, they have sustained winning and they're at big programs. So that money comes with that. But if you're going to include guys like that, I'm not drawing any of those guys away from their program. Like that's not happening. And I'm right. also not going to sign somebody for more than what those guys are making, which that is kind of sort of what you're going to have to end up paying th- this new guy. I don't know who it's going to be. I think Lane Kiffin is a great option. I think he checks the most boxes for them. Uh, I-, I think he's going to come and be the quote unquote splash hire. Um, and I think he's, he's, he, he, I think he's reached a ceiling at Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, we saw on Saturday, like, look, this is the best team that Ole Miss has probably ever had, or, or one of the best teams that they've ever had. And they got splattered in their two biggest games of the year. And it's just, this is their ceiling and that's just, and that's okay. Like that's just where some programs need to live. That's just, that's where they made their home. Lane Kiffin and Texas A&M could be an interesting marriage. It could be an explosive marriage. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to work, but it'd be the sexy hire, the right hire for me. I've said it on this podcast. I've said it to you personally. And I think you already know where I'm going. It's Mike Elko. That's the best hire for them. He was the defensive coordinator there uh, left in 2020 when the, after that big season, which, coincidentally was the last time that they had a really consistent defense and they go and play in an orange bowl. And this was their highest ranking of the Jimbo Fisher era. I don't think it was any coincidence that everything fell off a cliff. The moment he left, bring him back in. And I think you can get back up to the top. Yeah. It's interesting to see where they go. Is Elko technically a splash higher? Probably not. I mean, no, I think fans not. would probably get more excited about like Lance Leipold at Kansas, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, if they go for big name, I mean, I know they'll ask big names, but how, sure. you know, we've already had a couple reject them. So we'll see how many they ask or, or um, if they go, you know, smaller to upgrade it, it'll be very interesting to see where they land and what the eventual contract for uh, the new head coach of the Aggies will be. Yeah. And, and, and we don't know if Dan Lanning is having those negotiations or not. He publicly, publicly denied it. Dabo Sweeney sure. publicly denied it. I don't think either of those guys are going to leave their programs and go to another program when they have, their programs where they are right uh, dan lanning is dan lanning hasn't had a bite of the apple yet 
Uh, and I don't think he's going to leave until he gets something, some semblance of success over there, unless there's something that just really comes beckoning that he can't resist. And I don't think Texas A&M is necessarily that job. Uh, if you could say the same, you can't really say the same about an Alabama or something like that in a couple of years, we're not there right. yet. So I think that's important to remember, but Abe, I want to move into the actual football because we need to start here in the Southeastern conference because there's a game coming up this weekend. And I know I'm not talking about one of those cupcake games that we'll mention here. I'm talking about Georgia and Tennessee. I think that this is, uh, this is in the running for a college football game time game of the week, which airs every single Saturday on sports radio, 92, nine, the game in Atlanta. Give it a listen anywhere you find your podcasts after the fact or live on the Odyssey app or just tune in because you live in Atlanta and we love you. <laughs> but that is very much in the running for our college football game time game of the week. I don't know if it's going to be the game yet. I'm still I'm still like trying to like uh, just figuring not. it out. I don't know. It very well could be. But Georgia, the number one team in the country, the newly minted number one team in the country, they go on the road to take on Tennessee. At one point, this could have decided the SEC East. Now the SEC East is is all figured out. It's all done. Uh, Tennessee still has something to play for. They have a chance to go finish their season on a high note after losing their two biggest games of the season. This is a huge deal for them. Can they rely on the rushing attack? Because I don't think Joe Milton's going to be the dude who gets this done. Georgia's shown that they are capable of getting beat in the rushing attack. This is a really, really good Tennessee Volunteers rushing attack. 213 yards per game is ninth in all of FBS. UGA's stout rushing defense or by national standards is pretty stout. Not by their standards. They're 19th in FBS right now. Uh, generally, they like to live in the top five or top 10, uh, at least with the Kirby Smart era. But, Abe, hey, what do you see in this game? Yeah, uh, I don't see much, to, to, to be honest. Um, look, I will say this. This is Georgia's first true road game since Auburn. Now, I know they went on the road against Vanderbilt. That was the game Brock Bowers got hurt in. Um, but that th there's no atmosphere there. there. There's no concern. I mean, you know what I mean? We're walking into enemy territory knowing it's going to be a problem. That That's what Georgia's getting this weekend when they walk into Neyland. Now, you do get Brock Bowers back. He looked relatively good uh, a week ago, um, it, it, you know, in limited action, but still dangerous, had the touchdown. Uh, so there you go. To me, this is, uh, again, a lot of things are going to we, – we talked about this early in Georgia season against some of the other teams. I feel that way now. A lot of things are going to have to go wrong for Georgia to lose this game. I, I just don't see it being very competitive. I, I thought they did an outstanding job against the run a week ago. It, it feels like early in the season the run was an issue, but yeah. ever since Kentucky walked in with Ray Davis and was like, look, we're going to come run the ball, and Georgia's like, no, you're not. No one has done that. Um, the quarterback run wasn't an issue a week ago with Jackson Dart. I don't think it's going to be an issue uh, similarly with with um, with Milton. I, I just I don't see how this Tennessee offense gets things done. And I know you've talked about it at times throughout the year. The lack of an offensive playmaker on the outside for Tennessee is a real problem. Yeah. At least Missouri had Luther Burden uh, to deal with. It, at least Florida had Trey Wilson to, to be a problem in that game. They obviously wasn't competitive either one against Georgia. But I don't know who makes plays for this team when they do get into third and extended situations. This, to me, feels like a game where if Georgia does a pretty good job handling the atmosphere, if Georgia doesn't uh, beat themselves, make penalties and turnovers and mistakes like that, I don't see a path. Like, like this is, I know, one of your things. You ask, what's the path to beating Georgia? Yeah. There is one, 
I don't know if Tennessee has it, though. And, and so I, I feel pretty comfortable if I'm a Dogs fan. I know Kirby Smart said it wasn't a good practice mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Uh, he had been saying they've been very good practices in previous weeks. Maybe that's, you know, some mental stimulation now that Georgia can't rely on. No one thinks we're the best team anymore. But um, I, I look, I, I just the, – the atmosphere outside – I don't know what between the lines Tennessee actually has for Georgia that would concern me. How do you feel? Uh, this feels like a game that, I mean, on the field itself. Yeah. I, I don't see, a like you said, a path to beating Georgia. Yeah. It doesn't really work in their favor. The Georgia offense is, is better than Tennessee's by leaps and bounds. You got McConkie healthy. You got Kendall McConkie healthy is and, and Brock Bowers all deal. healthy. You got the Mims back. Finally healthy. This is the healthiest this offense has been, and they just put up 50-something uh, against number nine team in the country. Yeah. My, my biggest thing is that they need Neyland Magic to step up. Right. Like I, we, need, we need a Neyland Stadium that is on par with what we saw last year when Alabama came into town. Now, I don't think that that Tennessee team is long gone. Yeah. I think that there's a different question in there that I'm going to ask you here in a second. But that was a magical evening. I don't care if you're a Tennessee fan. If you're just a college football fan, that was a magical evening uh, for everybody involved, except for Alabama, of course. But this is also the third longest streak of wins at home in all of FBS. Tennessee has it. Then it's Washington. Then it's Georgia number one. The last team to beat them there in Neyland was three years ago when Georgia came into town and beat them. Yeah. Like, it, that's a long time, Abe. There are a lot of good football teams who have come into Neyland Stadium and that they've beaten. Um, and since 2022, really since this got going, they're 14-0 and at home. They're, they score 47.3 points per game, and they allow 17.3 points per game. Went back and looked at the numbers. On the road, that drops to 4-5. and five. They score 28.6, and then they, score, they allow 28.4. So, Abe, when I say that they are a different, different animal at home, they really are a completely different football team. At, at On that same note, they haven't played a team at the level of Georgia yet. And I think Georgia's going to come in and probably comfortably beat them. The line is 10.5, despite Tennessee being an away team, or being the home team, and Georgia being on the road. Right. It makes me think that Tennessee's peaked. This season, and for the Josh Heupel era, I, I think that might be a little too big picture for this game. I, I'm not trying to draw too many conclusions over one week, and I'm not trying to to overreact to what we saw last week. But this Tennessee team has not looked the same since they lost to Georgia last year in, in Sanford stadium. They just haven't. This was a team that was flying high. This is a team that was filled with confidence. And if you talk to any Tennessee fan, they're the best team in America. Like it it just, since then it just hasn't been that way. Nothing has really cut their way since that game. And it makes me think that maybe that season was the best that we're going to get with Josh Heupel. Maybe that's premature, but what say you? Yeah, I think that's a little too high and mighty. Um, but but I do agree with you about this season. Uh, I I do stand with you on that. I, I have no idea what other heights Josh Heupel could reach. At some point, they're going to go to a five star quarterback, and and we'll see how much better the offense yeah. looks. Uh, it's obviously not going to be Saturday. I wouldn't expect, but um, but yeah, big picture. I think that's maybe a little too soon. Um, sure. but but yeah, I, I they're not there this year there's no denying that and you've been on it from the very early parts of the season um they just don't have the playmakers to run up and down the field with these teams uh they couldn't keep pace with missouri 
Um, it, you know, Florida obviously got them. It, it, it's just not a team that I feel is capable of springing this type of win without, as you mentioned, some weird needle and magic, some some odd turn, like just something super wonky that that goes down, um, which you can never write off. There, there's always the ball bounces weird some days. Uh, so so you always got to be prepared for that. But yeah, um, it, it just. When you look at the matchups it's straight up, it just wrote her home. It just does not favor Tennessee in this one. Joe Milton's been very disappointing to me, to be honest. Um, uh, athletically, uh, I thought there was more they'd ask him to do. They don't run him as much as I thought he needed to run. We talked about this a little bit with Milrow a couple weeks ago. Like, where where's the legs aspect of his game? Now that's taken off for him the past couple of weeks. Uh, I haven't seen that for Milrow. I don't think we'll see it on Saturday either. Uh, this team is flat. Uh, like, you're right. Tennessee is flat. Last week was incredibly disappointing, and it has to be deflating. It, it, yeah. Whether it's home home field advantage this weekend or not, um, getting your butt spanked by Missouri in, in a game where you thought you were pretty evenly matched, in a game thought you thought maybe you could go on the road and notch a pretty big SEC win. They were favored. Um, yeah, and, and and getting your stuff handed right back to you that way, mm-hmm. um, that's humbling and that's deflating. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, forget the matchup with Georgia, just how they respond on their own uh, this week. Yeah, I want to see them bounce back in a big way. We'll see what they can do on Saturday against in their biggest game of the season uh, against their highest rated opponent, at least. Let's move on uh, because in Como, the, t- the place that we were just at last week, if you are a Tennessee, the Gators are traveling and they are in, correct me if I'm wrong, they're kind of in a desperation mode. Oh, they are. Look, they're looking to go to a bowl 100%. game. Yeah. They have Florida State next week. They had that game against Arkansas. It looks like they, they've never bounced back. Like yeah. I, I said, after they beat, after they played Georgia, they lost in a bad way. I said, you cannot let Georgia beat you twice if you're the Florida Gators. They have, they've now since, what, three games in a row? Like it has been a, a pretty brutal stretch for the Florida Gators. That said... The offense is not to blame. I don't blame the offense for what they did last week against LSU. You just let Jaden Daniels be Jaden Daniels. And look, you can ask Missouri fans. Like they saw Jaden Daniels do Jaden Daniels things. And when that guy steps up and has decides that he wants to have himself a game, I don't think there are a lot of teams in America that can slow him down. Uh, Florida certainly is not. But at the end of the day, this is a Florida team that needs to be better in their rush defense if they want to have a chance in this game. Cody Schrader has been a dog. Cody Schrader ran for 100 yards against Georgia. Then he goes on and, and does the first thing in Missouri history where he cracks triple digits in rushing and receiving. He goes 200 yards on the ground, 116 through the air. Now he gets a Florida team that has allowed 900 yards rushing in its last four games. He is the biggest key for me because if Missouri's playing at home and if you cannot slow down that rushing attack for them, then I'm just going to toss it out the window because Graham Mertz has been accurate. He's not super electric necessarily. He's not going to throw the ball down the field and do crazy things, but he's going to hit his passes. ETN's been good. He leads a good rushing attack, but I need to see that rushing attack do well. If, if I want to give the offense a chance to, to really get going and start churning out yards and, and controlling that clock. But if you cannot stop Cody Schrader, then all is lost basically for me if I'm, if I'm Florida. Yeah, look, uh, Missouri lost to Georgia, and the big takeaway from both of us is, like, that's a really good team. Yeah. Uh, and then they show up a week ago um, against Tennessee and, and re, re-stamp that, essentially. 
Um, and look, Florida's in desperation mode. They got to get one of these last two or they're not going to a bowl game. I, I think they're more likely to get Florida State than they are to get Missouri. I, I really do. I think this is a legitimately good team. Look, wow. th- this is a two-loss Missouri team that jumped a one-loss Louisville team, right? I, I mean, that's how good the the committee views this team, and, and I'm right there with them. Uh, it's a bad matchup for a number of reasons against Florida. They have trouble with big play receivers. They have trouble with dynamic running backs. Missouri's got both of those. They have trouble with accurate quarterbacks. We've seen it. And, and so it's just a bad matchup, not to mention the Missouri defense um, is ramping things up as well. So, look, it is desperation time, um, but I, I think desperation will wait one more week. I, I do expect Missouri to win this, but I'll tell you what, when we'll talk a week from now, Florida, Florida State's going to be very interesting, um, but I, I think Missouri's too much in this one. Yeah, we talked about that one specifically last week with Miami and Florida State. And Miami just about yeah. jumped up and bit them. You know, like yeah. this rivalry games, man. Right. Crazy things happen in those games. And the last time that we saw these two play each other, Florida, Missouri, that is, in Como, we saw a Darth Vader, Darth Vader mask. Uh, we saw Dan Mullen get fired after the 24-23 loss in overtime. That was a chaotic game. Um, I don't think that we're going to see any Darth Vader masks necessarily in this one. Uh, but the Tigers are looking to play at a New Year's Six Bowl if they win on Saturday against Florida, which I fully expect them to. And they win next week against Arkansas, which, again, I fully expect them to. They're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Eli Drinkowitz, I'm taking that running to the bank and cashing that check uh, because that's a fantastic season for the Missouri Tigers. Who, who, Like you said, you said it very well. That's a really good football team. Yeah. That's a really good football team. And I think they've earned every little bit that they have gotten this year. Uh, Kentucky at South Carolina. I think this is a very interesting team or interesting game just because these are two teams that are trending down a little bit. Uh, South Carolina is still looking to to compete and go to a bowl game. And look, you've got to win this game if you want to go do that. Uh, But the Cats are also in a bit of a a nosedive. They've lost four out of their last five. Granted, those four teams are Georgia, Alabama, Missouri, and Tennessee. That Tennessee game was pretty close, and I thought that that actually turned into a pretty good game. But the other three were certainly not. And I think that Kentucky is good enough to win this game. I think that if you want to, you need to stay within your identity. You need to run the ball effectively because USC, South Carolina, can absolutely get run on. They've they've allowed 100 yards rushing to every single opponent that they played except for three, and those three were throwing for 400 yards on them. So I don't think they really wanted to, to run the ball all that much. And if I'm the Gamecocks, I need to get out and I need to score. I need to score in a hurry. Because South Carolina's, like for all their shortcomings on the road, they were a very effective home team. They haven't scored less than 37 points at williams Bryce this season. I mean, if you want to beat Kentucky, you need to get them out of their game plan early and early as early as possible. Take the ball out of Ray Davis's hands because if they're able to sit back and just hand the ball to Ray Davis, they're going to gouge this Gamecock defense over the course of a, a four-quarter game. But if they can, you know, jump on them quickly. I think that South Carolina's got a shot. And look, they're in desperation mode. This is a team just like Florida that's looking to play in a bowl game. They need a little bit of thing. They need something to bounce their way if they want to have that opportunity. Yeah, it, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head. This is a situation for the Gamecocks where they, they just need Spencer Rattler to be Superman. Uh, they just can't compete with teams in the SEC. Kentucky's better front to back. They have a better roster. Um, you can argue that they're better coached. Um, but South Carolina has a better quarterback and, and there are situations where guys just go unconscious and go nuts. And, and, and like you said, they, they can put up 40, 
uh, on a given day. That's going to have to happen uh, if they are going to beat Kentucky. Yeah, and Xavier LeJet is also a very important player in this game. He's one of the leaders in the SEC in receiving yards. He's had a fantastic season. Uh, I think he's a senior this year, and he needs to have a big day. Uh, and, and just in general, the passing attack needs to wake up, and they need to go bonkers. But, Abe, I do want to go around the rest of the conference because we got a lot of haphazard games. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Teams and, and uh, Florida International. Call them humdingers. It's, it's another step towards bowl eligibility. Let's call it that. Yeah. Uh, Florida International travels to Arkansas, where Arkansas is trying to get off the mat. Uh, Sam Pittman and, and company, they need a big win here. I, I don't really know what direction that you can go if you're them. Georgia State goes on the road to play LSU. I think that actually could be a very interesting game for a quarter before Jaden Daniels looks to continue solidifying yeah, his Heisman campaign, Chattanooga serves as a great warm up for Alabama as they get to get healthy and get ready for the Iron Bowl next week. Uh, Auburn gets New Mexico State, which I will say is a very interesting game, just for the one reason that Hugh Freeze, the last time that he played New Mexico State, was last year when they were what twenty four point favorites when he was at Liberty. That's when the news started to circulate that he could be looking at the Auburn job, they end up losing that football game. So I think Auburn might have a, a bone to pick with New Mexico State. Maybe not Auburn as much as Hugh Freeze. And so I think they might run up the score on those guys. Abilene Christian takes on Texas A&M. Southern Mississippi takes on Mississippi State for a battle of two Mississippi schools. Southern, Southern Mississippi is not a team to necessarily sleep on. Mississippi State should handle that game pretty easily. Ole Monroe and Ole Miss. Ole Miss should get back on track with a win there. Abe, did you have any comments about any of those games before I move on? Yeah, just very quickly, two of them. I, I think you're right about LSU. This is Jaden Daniels with a, a big chance to pad the Heisman run that he's on. I, in my opinion, he's the leader. Obviously, they should be able to do whatever they want on the ground uh, as a team, but also individually. Uh, and then Arkansas, look, I, I think Sam Pittman is probably headed towards losing his job. Uh, the question is now when. Obviously, um, if you lose this game, that's probably it. So it's kind of a, a stay of execution for him. They need to win that game. That's, a, that's all I got on those games. Yeah, so Abe, let's now move into the Atlantic Coast Conference because they have, just like the SEC, a couple of ho-hums 
and we'll get into those here in just a second. But they also have some really good matchups. And I'm going to start with our Thursday game, Boston College at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is in a free fall. Uh, they just lost a, a bad game, and that's probably the nicest way that I can say it. The 2-8 and eight Pittsburgh Panthers lost to Syracuse, a team that was previously 0-5, I want to say, in the ACC. They lost five games in a row. They didn't have a quarterback, Abe. They were running a triple option offense. It was just not even a triple option. It was just a, it was just a, a wildcat. They had a tight end lining up at quarterback. It was just an embarrassing display for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Pat Narduzzi, is he coaching for his job on Sat on Thursday, or is that already decided? Boy, uh, that probably has already been decided. But I I'll tell you what, Boston College um, came out of nowhere with a completely flat effort a week ago. I, I thought they'd have the upper sure. hand against Virginia Tech. Castellanos was terrible, fifty uh, percent passer, uh, two 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 interceptions, very costly. Um, both of these teams looking, looking to kind of rebound, uh, BC had been rolling pretty well, but, uh, totally flat effort. We'll see if they can get back after it, uh, later tonight. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a very interesting game for, for two teams who, well, Boston college is looking to solidify their bowl standing and go to a better bowl game who, yeah. after really, really struggling to start this season and, and Boston college kind of struggled a bit at times this season and they got kind of got themselves up off the mat and then. They nearly lost to Syracuse, and then they have the embarrassing display that we saw last week. So I want to figure them out a little bit. I think they should be able to run the ball pretty effectively here at Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Pat Narduzzi's lost that locker room. I think it's all said and done. That's going to be likely a job opening for the first time in a number of years because Narduzzi's been a, a bit of a stalwart there at Pittsburgh. But moving on, I do want to get into this matchup that Louisville has against Miami, a game that has massive ACC implications because if Louisville wins, if they win, they lock down the ACC. If they lose and the other teams win, so UNC, NC State, and Virginia Tech, you have yourself a four-way tie for number two in the ACC. Don't ask me to explain the tiebreakers because I don't really know. <laughs> I was going to look deeper into it if, if Georgia Tech actually got into that situation, but they had that debacle that they did against Clemson where they kind of got spanked and uh, cast out with the garbage. So I'll move on from them and that specific thing. But the important thing is if Louisville wins on a road trip, which they haven't historically done very well on the road, then they would lock down the ACC. And Abe, that is my biggest thing for Louisville, period. Play better. Just be better on the road. The last time that we saw them on the road was the Pittsburgh loss. Then they have the NC State debacle. Largely, this team has not been effective. The, the rushing attack gets shut down. For whatever reason, the electricity of that off, like the high-flying passing attack, for whatever reason, Jack Plummer doesn't get the memo, and he doesn't get on the plane, or at least his, his passing attack doesn't. This is a really good Miami team. This is a Miami team that's a lot better than six wins. And they are fully capable of making this a really tight contest. I think that whatever the spread is, it's probably not close enough. Louisville should be good. Louisville's talented enough to get this job done. Jamari Thrash, Dewar Jordan, like the, the whole crew, they're a really good football team. But there's a reason that they got, they're the lowest ranked one loss team and have been consistently throughout the season. They have holes, they have problems, and they have shown that they are susceptible to losing games like this. Tyler Van Dyke. Can Tyler Van Dyke step up in a big spot and just not turn the ball over? He had 11 interceptions in five games. That's not going to happen. There's a reason Emory Williams came in and bit for, and, after he got benched, but he's not here anymore. Now you got to re-earn that job. 
Abe, what do you think about this game? Yeah, it, it, it's really what type of game is this? Because to to the games that you mentioned, Louisville does not fare well in these physical games. Uh, and so are they able to get their receivers, their playmakers in space, Yeah, uh, get Jordan into the second level, stuff like that? Uh, if they are, I don't think Miami's got the explosivity uh, to keep up. But, but if this is a lower scoring game um, – it, it, it can play out that way. This is a game where Miami is actually a half point favorite. So a virtual mm-hmm. pick them. Um, so that tells you the confidence that, that Vegas at least has in favorite. Louisville. But um, to me, this game is equally as important for these two teams as it is for Florida state. Florida state needs to be facing Louisville. They need to face another highly ranked team in the ACC championship game. So they're going to have a, a, a little bit of a eye on this one as well. Yeah, for sure. And this is a, a obviously, of course, the, the the offense struggled against Florida State, but the defense looked really good for Miami. That is, they held them to three hundred twenty-two yards and three. They sacked them three times and had nine tackles for loss. I think this is a Miami team that's very capable of of springing an upset. Well, I guess it wouldn't be an upset because they're favored by a half point. Yeah, which I didn't realize. I, I thought that maybe the line had moved since the last time I saw it. Um, but this is a good Miami team if they can play clean football. Then I give them a decent shot to win this football game. And I, if they can win that line of scrimmage, which I think they can, don't be surprised if Miami sends Louisville home unhappy. Uh, elsewhere in the ACC, North Carolina goes on the road to take on Clemson. North Carolina, they've won two straight games. Yes, I'm including the Campbell game because it counts in the in the stat book and on their win-loss record. So, yes, I'm going to count it. So, But they've won two games in a row after losing two games in a row to Virginia and Georgia Tech, both on the road. Uh, well, I guess Virginia was at home and the Georgia Tech was on the road, but now they get their toughest test of the season. Clemson. This is a team that is, look, I think Clemson's figured something out. They look like they turned a corner against Notre Dame. I wanted them to prove it against a really good Georgia Tech offense, and they did more than prove it. They dominated one of the best offenses in the ACC with Georgia Tech, and they look like they turned a corner. They look more like the team that we have come to expect to come from a Dabo Sweeney-led team. And Kate Klubnick had a career day, 205 yards, four touchdowns, only the one turnover. That's an important thing because they didn't turn the ball over in bunches. That's been their biggest downfall throughout the course of this season is they just they put the ball on the ground or they throw the ball to the other team or or something in big moments always seem, seem to come up and bite them. And that wasn't the case last week. It wasn't the case against Notre Dame the ball sort of bounced their way. And I think Clemson's sort of figured itself out. They've got that chip on their shoulder and they're playing for something. They're playing for their coach. They're playing for their pride. And they look like a different, more physical bunch. Yeah, people wanted to bury this team. And I think you hit it right on the head. It does feel like they figured something out. There was a time where you're like, whoa, is Clemson going to lose the last four games of this season? Um, obviously Notre Dame tech uh, this week against Carolina. And then next week against South Carolina. Could, could they really drop yeah, and yeah, um, yeah I, the question is, have they figured something out or is what we've seen just uh, an anomaly? If they have figured something out and they are favored in this game by nearly a touchdown, mm-hmm. uh, they will win. Uh, for me, UNC has been incredibly disappointing. The return return of Tez Walker did not have the impact um, we thought it might in the first week or two of his uh, return. And um, you also, I, I, whether this is fair or not, you do have to question whether Drake May's got uh, an eye on the NFL draft at this point. Um, I, I, I think it's only human nature 
um, once an ACC title, theoretically an ACC title, a playoff berth, stuff like that goes out the window. Where does his focus start to turn? So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I actually like the way that Clemson is playing, but it's only been two games. So, so it's still tough to tell if they did figure something out, as you mentioned, or if it was a two-game anomaly and they returned to being essentially a boring offense here coming up. Yeah, because this is a team that scored 17, 20, then 17. Yeah. And looked pretty hapless, and that's when a lot of those comments started emerging. Yeah. A lot of the question marks. That's when Tyler and Spartanburg worked up the courage to call into the <laughs> coaches show. But since then, subsequently, they scored 31 and 42. So yeah. it looks like they figured something out on offense. Really, it's the consistency of Kate Klubnik. He's throwing the ball down the field with some with some confidence. And, and then they just have guys who are stepping up in big spots. Amari and Hampton is the guy that I've got my eye on. You talked about Drake May. Of course, he's a stud. He's a, he's going to be the best player on the field, at least as far as NFL draft stock and pedigree is concerned. Amari and Hampton is a guy who's rushed for 1,200 yards. He, he scored a lot. I mean, he's done everything you could possibly want in a running back. And he's going to need to have a big day against a really stout Clemson rushing defense. And you've got to stay ahead of schedule and you've got to sustain drives. You know, like this is a really potent attack. You know, Drake May is going to be able to stretch the field and do and do some big things. But if you're not able to run the ball and you're able to make North Carolina one dimensional on offense, then I think you give yourself the best opportunity to win. Uh, and th- because I just don't trust this North Carolina defense because you saw what Kate Klubnik was able to do against an equally putrid Georgia Tech defense. Well, this North Carolina defense is no better. Like, this is a group that's allowed 32 points per game, Abe. 32 points per game. That's 40.7 against ACC opponents in the last three. This is, in te- this is a team that, that it's brutal. It, this, there's Swiss cheese. And I think Cade Klubnik's figured something out. He's playing with some confidence for the first time all season, and that's going to be enough for me if I'm Clemson. Did you have any more comments on this one before we move on real quick? I just agree with you. Uh, UNC's lost the entire script defensively. Uh, you thought that first game against South Carolina, and we knew they had a bad offensive line, the Gamecocks did, but you yeah. thought maybe they had a bunch <laughs> of difference makers on the D-line, and in recent weeks that hasn't proven to be the case. I've been disappointed with Gene Chizik. I, I thought that he was going to be a bigger a bigger deal um, than he has been so far this season. North Carolina, of course, ranks up there as one of the bigger disappointments. But they had just had the crazy game against uh, Duke last week. Maybe that was just the confidence that they needed. That was their get right. But speaking of Duke, they go on the road to take on Virginia. Uh, another quasi-interesting game, but more in, more interesting in the fact that they're going to be honoring their teammates who passed away uh, with, with the, the paint in the end zone. That's going to be a very emotional display, and I would encourage anybody and everybody to go check that out. Uh, whenever they unveil that. But Duke goes on the road. This is a different football team without the quarterback. Leonard is is just such an important facet to what they do. But Virginia is all beat up. I really don't have much of a feel on this game. These are just two ga- two teams who are really, really injured. And Virginia looks like they've given up on the season a little bit. But this is going to be a very emotional game for them. So I, I wouldn't put it past them to spring some sort of upset or at least have some form of chaos ensue in this one. Uh, so definitely keep your eye out for this one. Yeah, th- this is really just about the growth of Duke quarterback Grayson Loftus, uh, who had started the year, I think, third string and and now is being thrust into the starter position. And just uh, this is his second game, or this will be his second start, third game getting major action. Just is there growth or, or are there still freshman mistakes? I think that's the question. If there's any growth or, or at least he's managing the game, Duke's not losing on Saturday. 
And the next one that we have up is Wake Forest going on the road. They are taking on Notre Dame. Dave Clawson and company, this is a tough test for these guys who are looking to get bowl eligible. Um, I think you're going you're gonna to be hard-pressed to get a win at Notre Dame. But they have win number five potentially coming next week when Syracuse, when, uh, when Syracuse or they have to travel up to Syracuse to, to go play the Orange. I don't really have much of a feel in this game. I think Notre Dame should handle it pretty easily and just continue on. Yeah, at, at home, uh, at just riding is – I mean, look, Notre Dame's not been impressive in recent weeks, but they haven't been that uh, disgusting to watch. They, they ought to be able to handle this game. Yeah, and as long as they – I mean, and Wake Forest is a good football team. Like, this is a team that, that – that they're still a pretty potent passing attack. Like, they're still able to do some things with the football, and I just don't think that they're going to have the talent really to keep up. Audric Estime and company, like, this is going to be – one of those types of afternoons for, for Wake Forest. They're not, I don't think they're going to be able to stop the run effective enough. Uh, in Audric estimate, I've been saying that most of the season. <laughs> he's, he's been the player who I've expected a lot from, and I haven't really seen too much from him, at least in the biggest of games. Um, he's a good player, and I think that this is going to be another game where he can have an opportunity to really take over. NC State and Virginia Tech, these are two teams which, believe it or not, this is an elimination game. So if Louisville does lo- win, if, or excuse me, if Louisville loses and North Carolina uh, potentially loses, then you're at a two-way tie potentially for uh, the ACC championship game. Even if UNC wins, I don't know who the head-to-head is necessarily, but there could potentially be a three-way tie for that ACC title game. Um, these are two teams who I really don't know. The way, uh, NC State just had a quarterback drop out, but they've been trending up, MJ Morris I- I- him aside. The defense has been playing at a very high level and they got the win against Clemson earlier this season. And they look, they look pretty good, especially on the defensive side of the ball And Dave Doran by hell or high water is going to win eight games. Like that is just his MO is he is an eight and four head coach. It doesn't matter if the whole thing, the whole world is in your favor. You're going to go eight and four. If the whole world is against you, you're going to go eight and four. Like you start 0 and four. He's about to win the next eight games on his schedule because that's Dave Doran. He wins eight games. Well, Abe, they currently sit at seven. So I think they're going to win. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you mentioned <laughs> the quarterback dropping out, but it's not like you're turning it over to an unproven guy. You've got Brennan no. Armstrong there who had lost right. the starting role. He's seen a lot of ACC action. Obviously, he transferred over from UVA. So um, between that not being like a total panic move because you mm-hmm. do have some experience at the quarterback position, he returned last week and led them to a big win. Also, the defense has given up six points in back-to-back weeks. Uh, and if they look like that again, NC State will get the job done. Yeah, and Britt Pry has also done a magnificent job in the ACC. He was a guy who a lot of people expected to be potentially losing his job by the end of the season. Virginia Tech seemingly fell off a cliff, but he's got the boys up in Blacksburg back on track, and they are competing for ACC title game appearances, uh, something that I don't think anybody was fully expecting from Brent Pry this year. Uh, so credit to Virginia Tech for, for all of the success that they've had this season. I don't think that this matches up too well for them in this game, but I think it's going to be an interesting one with a lot more to play for than most people really thought. Florida State is playing at home against North Alabama. I don't have any comments about this. North Alabama is not even an FBS proponent. This is a game that they should win by 60, 70 points. Just stay healthy for next week when you take on Florida. Yeah, you you got that right. Stay healthy. And then, look, people are starting to question Florida State and the legitimacy of their ranking. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not a game you can win by 10 points. So you do need to go out. I don't – 
Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, look, you, like you, you can't, can't lose. You can't win the first quarter by 10 points. Abe. Yeah. You, you can't sleep this, right. This needs to be 21, nothing, uh, by the time people are, are done want, you know, it, it does. Um, so I agree with you there, but yeah, just stay healthy. Um, we won't panic if guys don't play the second and third and fourth quarter, stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. they're going to save some up for Florida. I need to be able to stand up, go crack a beer, come back, and a touchdown's already happened. You know, right. like it's it needs to be one of those types of games. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna finish here in the ACC, the primetime matchup. The rambling wreck of Georgia Tech is looking to become bowl eligible for the first time since 2018. Meanwhile, Dino Babers and the Syracuse Orange are looking to become bowl eligible for the second time in a row for the first time in over a decade. Do you have a feel for this game? Because Syracuse, they had a tight end taking snaps at quarterback last week. I don't know if that's going to be enough to beat Georgia Tech. It was certainly enough to beat Pittsburgh last week. Uh, Georgia Tech's a lot better football team than Pittsburgh. I think Georgia Tech should win this game, but we've said that before. This is a team that notoriously doesn't do well when it's favored at home. But I think their backs are against the wall. I think the guys understand all that's at stake right now. They have a chance to go bowling. And when you're a new head coach and you are in your first year of a program and you get bowl practices – that is more valuable than gold. And I would take bowl practices over anything because that is where you get the new crop of players in. They get extra they get extra reps. All of that matters to the growth and development of your program. So I think Brent Key is going to bring out all the stops to get this win on Saturday. Well, look, you know they're not going to rely on trying to beat Georgia at, at the end of the year to get to bowl eligibility. So in that regards, Garrett, this is a must-win game for Georgia Tech. It's their yes. real only last chance to get to bowl eligibility. And look, we've seen Haynes King win ACC Player of the Week, and we've also seen him put forth efforts like a week ago with four interceptions where there's no way that team is winning. So it's going to come down to his play. How steady is it? Uh, and then to take pressure off of him, what's that run game look like? We saw them run for 200-some-odd yards in one quarter against North Carolina. It would help them out quite a bit if they could do that uh, again this weekend. But I, I do think, to your point, this is a game you see a lot of desperation out of Georgia Tech to get that six win that they've been looking for. Yeah, and I, I fully expect that to come come on Saturday. I think it's going to be a great game. And it's, the, it's, it's, a big, it's a big one for both teams. Both teams are looking to become bowl eligible. Dino Babers started over oh, five and oh, then went 0 and five. We'll see how he finishes the year. Abe, I do want to finish here because we're going to go around the nation. We have a couple of games that we want to talk to as we're finishing up here on the college football overtime podcast. And I'm going to start with probably the other very important game, another game that could be considered our game of the week. Washington travels to Oregon State. I think this is a, a sneakily good matchup. I thought it was going to be a really good matchup even before Oregon State was ranked as the number 11 team in the country. Washington is playing for their college football playoff lives. They are still sitting at number five, just outside of your top four. I think that they have tons to play for down the stretch, and I think that they can earn their way into that top four when it's all said and done. But it starts by winning games like this against Oregon State. Yeah, look, people thought DJU was a fringe Heisman candidate uh, when he got to Oregon State. Uh, That has not played itself out this season, but do not overlook how dangerous that team is. He's still a very good quarterback. He's had a very good year. Uh, And and this is an odd situation where Washington, ever since that win over Oregon, just kind of lackluster. Look, uh, that game against Utah, Utah was coming off a game where they get annihilated by Oregon. Now you compare it with Washington, and it it wasn't the game. um, And and look, there was a bad fumble from Washington. That game could have scoreboard-wise played itself out a little bit differently but uh this is a big test going on the road into Corvallis at night 
uh, against a Oregon State team that's got everything in front of them. Uh, look, Oregon State still got a shot to go to the Pac-12 uh, championship game. They, sure do. They win this week and then win uh, Civil War against Oregon. They're they're right there. So they've got the inspiration and motivation to come out with everything they've got, and they've got the team to do it. Mm-hmm. They really do. And Michael Penix hasn't quite been the quarterback we saw the first four or five games. Probably is injured and playing with some stuff that they're not uh, telling us about. Um, look, I'll say this. Outside of the Oregon game, this is the biggest challenge that Washington will have had this season. Um, and it's going to be a tough one to pass. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, I am worried if I'm Oregon State, though, because the biggest the biggest test to the secondary was likely Washington State with Cam Ward, and that's a guy who threw for 380 yards on you uh, and, and kind of cooked you, and that was one of their two losses this season. Michael Penix and this Washington offense are significantly better than that, and I mean significantly better than that. Um, the, the biggest player for me, you mentioned Michael Penix, and of course Michael Penix is the best player in the field likely. Um, Roman Dunze, like he, he's a stud. I'm looking at Damian Martinez, the dude who leads a two-headed rushing attack over there in Corvallis. Yep. He averages 6.59 yards per attempt. 155 carries is also Deshaun Fenwick. Like, that, that's a that's a potent rushing attack, you know? They like to run the ball, and they also play really well at home. Like, this is a team under Jonathan Smith who they are very, very good. 22-12 and 12 straight up since he took over the Oregon state program that includes his first year where they kind of struggled a little bit. Like this is a team who plays its best football at home. I think the physicality of the Beavers might be the biggest thing for them working in their favor. That said, I don't know if they can keep up. If this gets into a shootout territory, I get a little worried, but I think Oregon state does a lot of the little things. Well, they convert on third down, they stay ahead of the chains and they keep themselves in a winning position. On top of that, they score touchdowns in the red zone, Washington for as much as they score, they're not as effective when they get into the red zone. Most of their scoring happens outside of the red zone when they're a little bit further away. And it's when they can actually open up and un- like and just unload on you. And now that's been good enough for them in the past. But if Oregon State is able to force them into, if they take away that explosive pass and force them into methodically working the ball down the field, which is easier said than done. It's happened a few times this season. Arizona State was able to get that done. Um, Stanford was able to really get that done pretty effectively. Utah, for for better or for worse, they were able to get that done for for portions of the game, not a full full sixty minutes, but for portions of the game. If the Beavers can get that done on Saturday, then I give them a shot. If they can't do that, they're going to really, really start relying on DJ Uyunglele to to put the ball in his arm and really go win it. And I don't know if DJU is the guy who can necessarily go win you a game if you really need him to. This is a really good Oregon State team. I think they got their work cut out for them. There is a path to winning this game, though. Run the ball effectively and take away the explosive passes, and they got a really good shot because this is this is one of the best teams in America at scoring in the red zone, and that's because of that two-headed rushing attack that they have in that backfield. They've got a path to victory. It'll be a tough one, but I think they can do it. Yeah, th- look, this is a Washington team that won its first four games uh, 27 points each or, or more, mm-hmm. more, more, 27 or more in, in the first four. Ever since then, you're dealing with 10 or less, 11 or less uh, in all of these games. So yeah. uh, it just – things are not as smooth as they were. Part of that is that they're playing some better Pac-12 opponents. I think you can weigh that in. But 
Uh, it, it just isn't the team that looks like the best team in the conference. And, and yeah. I do think to win on Saturday, to get by the Beavers, they need to find a way to look like the team that beat Oregon, find a way to look like the team that deserves to be the representative of the Pac-12. They haven't looked like that in recent weeks. Doesn't mean that team's not in there. They are very well coached. They will be ready for this game. Uh, they've won a couple key games on the road against ranked opponents already this year. But I agree with you. Uh, mm -hmm. Oregon State's got to run the ball with success to take pressure off DJU, set up big plays in the past game, which DJU can hit. But like you said, you don't want to rely on him being a check down efficient passer. You you want to take your chances. Kind of Jalen, not quite Jalen Milrose. She's better on the short. But you know what I mean if you've listened to the podcast and how I discuss what Alabama likes to do in their pass game. Uh, if they can run the ball, I, I do think, like you said, this can be a very competitive game. Uh, and, and let's not sleep on that Oregon State defense, too. Uh, they, they, they can get after it a little bit. They've got five different guys, I think, that have two or more interceptions. Uh, I think one of their pass rushers is close to 10, maybe nine and a half sacks. So uh, it'll be yeah. very interesting to see <clears throat> Penix and, and what he does and how often he puts the ball into danger in this one. Yeah, Oregon State's got the tools to get it done. Washington has more to lose just in general. I, I think Washington's the better football team, but I said it before, Oregon State's got the tools to beat them. And I think that yeah. it wouldn't surprise me all that much uh, if they're actually able to get it done. I, I'm not I'm not foolish enough to pick them to win, but they can certainly win if they if they uh, if when it's all said and done. Let's move on to uh, another game out there in the Pac-12. Utah travels to Arizona. One of the at, at the time that they want they were five and what five and three or five and two or something at the time. I said they were the best five and two team in the country. <laughs> you know, like this is a team that gave everybody anybody and everybody everything that they could handle. They have since just been a really good football team. Noah Fafita has been a, a revelation for Arizona. And now they get one of their bigger tests of the season against a, a really good Utah team, a team that is a lot better than their losses might indicate. Uh, Bryson Barnes, I think he's kind of figured something out at quarterback. He's kind of settled in a little bit. After that USC game, I mean, we talk about that being an, a, a get-right game for Utah on offense, but not necessarily wholly indicative of who they are as a team. I don't know if that's the case anymore because since that they've had 50 plus points on Arizona state. They, they did what they did last week against a pretty good Washington football team on the road. And maybe that is who they are because you've got a lot of dudes who can play and, and Bryson Barnes had a pretty good game. He's not the reason they lost that football game last week. I don't think it's going to be the reason they, they could lose this game upcoming this weekend. Look, uh, you talked about Fafita. This has been a completely different Arizona team since he gained the starting job. His first game was against Washington, a very close loss. He's got some losses, yeah. right? But but they've been competitive in those games. And then he's got a couple of big wins, three straight over ranked teams before beating uh, an unranked Colorado in a less than stellar uh, performance there. But uh, at home, I, I just I don't know what to expect out of Utah. Their defense isn't quite as good in lockdown as I thought it would be. Uh, the offense obviously is still missing Cam Rising, even with the, the spurt they did have with Bryson Barnes. Uh, and Arizona's just trending up, uh, up, up, and up. And, and Noah Fafita's been the big difference for them. And um, it'll be very interesting, uh, maybe not this year, but next year to see how people project this Arizona team with Fafita because uh, they are well outpacing any expectations anyone had for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's very impressive, even in a very difficult conference, to see what they're doing with a quarterback change midseason. So um, it, it's been a fun ride for Arizona fans who, uh, shockingly enough, and 
I meant to make this joke when we were doing around the ACC. Um, they're going to have to kind of put pause on basketball season for a little bit while they wrap up this football season. <laughs> I don't think many people were saying that, but I guess not a lot of people were uh, expecting their, their boys. I to meant to drop that games. for the Duke Virginia discussion. And I, I, I dropped I that's I, also I a decent up. one. That's all right. It's okay. It's okay. The good people recognize it. And, uh, Arizona is seven, three on the season. They've had a good year. Uh, I don't think anybody expected them to be tied for third place at this point in the season. Uh, really good year for Noah Fafita and company, uh, a team that is just one step below them. The USC Trojans, they are playing UCLA in a game that we're going to see is now a big 10 conference matchup next year, which I will never get used to. I don't think. And I, or at least I say that now. UCLA and USC, I think the biggest storyline for me here is who can get past the elephant in the room. I think both of them have pretty glaring issues. You have the Grinch, who was fired last uh, last week after just the debacle uh, against Washington and everybody else, and, and Cal and really, really everybody. Uh, USC couldn't stop a nosebleed if they, if they had a, a, a box of tissues. But this is a team that struggles on defense. But you're also playing a team with – a dead man walking at head coach and has Caleb Williams moved on have, I mean, they can say that they haven't, they could say that all these games matter, but you got to go out and prove it. And I think that this is one of those games where I really don't know what to make of it because UCLA, I think was, they were a good football team. They're six and four right now. I thought that this was a team that could go win eight games this year and really put together a good season. But now Chip Kelly is is reportedly on the hot seat, if not fired already, regardless of what happens down the stretch. Do, does his team quit? Does his team or does his team maybe say, "Hey, let's screw it, let's go ball out"? I have no feel. I have no idea. But it's a big rivalry game. It's one of the biggest games out west. So we wanted to bring it to your discussion, Abe. What do you think? Look, you put a lot of great discussion into what we could look for on the field. All I'm going to say this is uh, I'm here for the jerseys, man. Both teams wearing their oh, home so colors, the matchup. It, it's probably – I don't even care what happens in the game anymore. Like, both teams have lost interest for me. Caleb Williams is not winning the Heisman. USC is is his season is a little derailed. Um, obviously, the UCLA head coaching situation, uh, having to make changes to the assistant staff at USC. You you went through all of it. I, I don't even care what happens on the field, man. These two teams are going to look great on Saturday, and uh, I'll drink to that, man. It is it is for what it lacks on with with football. Yeah, exactly. On the field. It makes up for in spades with it's just just call beautiful. it a the yeah the the majesty of of the uh, colors I, i'm i'm here for it yeah plus it doesn't matter if you're playing in the rose bowl or if you're playing in in uh the trojan coliseum i, I mean it's 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 a good looking venue with good looking teams and uh, i think that's going to be probably the highlight of that game last game i have on my list kansas state at kansas uh a ranked of two top 25 opponents and i don't have this stat handy I don't know if these two teams have ever been ranked at the same time while whilst playing each other. I can't think of one. I don't know if you can think of one. And the Wildcats have won this game 14 years in a row. What do you think happens? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Kansas State is still in the running for uh, the Big 12 representation because right now Texas is a one-loss team. Uh, and it gets kind of wonky after that. You've got yep. four, like, four teams at five and two. Uh, Kansas State of that group with the toughest opponent this week, at least. 
Um, so, so it'll be, uh, or actually I guess Iowa state's five and two, they, they do play Texas. So that's another yeah. one to keep an eye on, but, um, yeah, it, it's just, they need to handle their business if, if they want to hold on to some hopes of, uh, getting to the big 12 title game and, and facing Texas. And look, that game was great a couple weeks ago. Maybe they get some revenge. The Oklahoma, Texas game was great. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see if revenge could be had, if that was the matchup, um, whatever it is. So. Yeah, it's just really interesting situation. You mentioned all, all the random situation scenarios that could play out in the ACC. I'm looking forward to that in the Big 12 as well um, because a lot of these teams are quality and could probably give Texas uh, a threat, including Iowa State this weekend. So it'll be very interesting to see. But, uh, look, Kansas has been disappointing. I know they are ranked, but they've been disappointing. It wasn't the season. Look, their quarterback was Big 10 or excuse me, Big 12 preseason player of the year. That obviously injury-wise has not worked out. They've done what they can under uh, Bean, but um, it, it's just, it hasn't been there for Kansas. This is one last chance for them to kind of salvage, and it's not been a bad season. Look, this is Kansas football we're talking about here, right? Like, it's not yeah. been a bad season, but there were higher hopes. Um, and, and so it's another chance to put another nice notch if they're able to get this one, but I do think Kansas State is playing well uh, recently, and 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 I would expect them to be able to handle business, stay in the race for the Big 12 title game, and see what happens with the rest of the conference. Yeah, and I think this all comes down to the play of Will Howard. Can he can just continue to do – just make plays at quarterback? Um, don't throw the ball over. He just – actually just broke the uh, K-State record for career passing touchdowns last week, 45. It's not a crazy high number. But yeah, I guess it's enough to, to to take home a record. Another thing to keep in like the just in mind is Jason Bean's status. He's not 100. percent He got knocked around a little bit, and he's a game time decision. I think if he doesn't play, uh, I think we got a, a long shot that the Jayhawks are actually able to pull this upset. But if he does play, I think this could end up being a pretty interesting football game because Kansas State, like you mentioned before, they have the second best odds to make the Big 12 title game, and they need a little bit to bounce their way, but. Look, I think Oklahoma State, they showed you last week that they're capable of, fully capable of just throwing out and laying, an, like throwing their helmet out there and laying an egg. Uh, Oklahoma has done that at times too. We saw them do that against this Kansas team. You know, so the Big 12 is just a big pile of who knows. And especially with the Brooks knee injury that happened last week, I think it is absolutely a wide open conference. At the very top, I think Texas is probably, Texas is already locked down at spot, but I think Texas is going to be the favorite. I think they should be the favorite. But outside of that, who's going to play them? I don't really know. But that's why they played the game, and that's why they keep it interesting. We have two weeks left of college football, and we're going to keep you updated on all of that, Abe Gordon and myself, right here on College Football Overtime. But that's it for our Week 12 preview show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you feel so inclined, go down, drop us a rating, give us a five-star, a thumbs up, do whatever you got to do, hit subscribe, and then join us on Monday morning as we break down all of the games that we just talked about and maybe a couple more because you never know in college football, there's a little bit of chaos coming because five undefeated teams at the top and uh, a little birdie tells me that that's not going to be the case here in two weeks. So lots to talk about here on the college football overtime podcast. So make sure you are right here listening to us and joining us in that conversation. If uh, that conversation, excuse me, give us a follow on Twitter at G ATL at Abe Gordon. That's how you stay in touch with us in the meantime. Make sure you subscribe, and we'll see you on Monday morning right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on Monday.